Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. The book of Galatians is a gospel clarifying letter that unpacks the richness and completeness of what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. It clearly defines what the gospel is and is not for its readers. It helps us realize the depths of God's love for us in a life of relationship and obedience to Him in His power. Please continue listening for today's message. Good evening, everyone. I'm reading from Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 to 14 from the English Standard Version. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abram might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. One of the things about this text is that Paul is clear about the human condition. And the human condition is that every one of us, most probably every person in the world to to some degree, is seeking the blessed life. Every one of us is looking to find what does it mean to to live a blessed life? Is there a God? Uh, Can we know Him? What does it mean to be in relationship with Him? And, And if we're in relationship, can we live this blessed life that our hearts are created to hunger and to long for? Every one of us is seeking the blessed life. And Paul understands that actually the inclination of new believers And the inclination of those who have been pursuing God for some time is actually an inclination to start to look to ourselves to figure out these great pursuits and to start to look to ourselves to make this work for ourselves. And the reality is that Paul in this text is actually calling us out of that and calling us to a right view of God. And so I'm hoping that today, even though much of what's just been read may sound somewhat familiar, if you've been tracking with us, we're gonna be 32 weeks in the book of Galatians this year. But if you've been tracking with us, some of these words may seem familiar and you're like, oh yeah, this law and kind of you know, faith thing, we got that, we've spoken to that. But guess what? If you're anything like me, actually the inclination of your human heart and your human tendency is still, even though when you know these things and you've subscribed to these things and you've experienced the grace and the goodness of these things, you can find yourself in humanness defaulting back to that which is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do I mean? What I mean, well, let, let's, let's get into what Paul ramps up here and then I'll unpack exactly what I mean. 
Firstly, I wanna refer back to in the first chapter we were preaching and Paul's arguing with them that they, they must watch out, right? You've got these new believers, the church in Galatia, you've got these Judaizers, they're trying to add law to these new believers and they're saying, hey, you guys should really get circumcised. You guys as Gentiles have been outside of the people of God. Now it's clear you welcomed in and now you've received grace, but guess what? You should most probably add some kind of Jewish vibes to this. That's what it means to be part of the people of God. And they saw decide circumcision is the thing they should add, right? And, and that's no small feat, right? But Paul writes to them and he's contending and he's saying, no, don't do this. Don't do this. And here he points out how worthless this line of thinking is. Because if these Judaizers are actually good Jewish scholars, they will come to see and they should know that unless they keep all of the law, there's no point in keeping any of the law. That's what, what Paul's saying to them. And then he says, you should know that the law itself declares its own destination. Listen to verse 10. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul's point is this. They know that no one can do the whole of the law. Abide by the whole of the law. No one can do it. So why try in an earning or appeasing God kind of way. That doesn't make sense. Theologian John Stott, who passed away a couple of years ago, he said this, the gist of this passage is that the apostle sets the alternatives before us in the starkest contrast. He tells us of two destinies and of two possible roads by which to reach them. He speaks like a kind of New Testament Moses for Moses said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. He said that in Deuteronomy. And so Paul knows these are astute Jewish scholars, these Judaizers, and he's saying, hey, let's, let's come back to, to Moses if you wanna come back to Moses. And just like Moses, I wanna present to you life or death. I wanna present to you blessings or curses. And then he unpacks that. So road number one, that is available to us as we pursue God is the road of the law. Paul warns here that this road actually leads not to the outcome of being blessed, but to the outcome of being cursed. And he says to them, you should know better where this road leads. And he warns these new Gentile believers not to go walking down this road. Guys, don't go walking down that road. It's a fruitless road and it's cursed in itself. And we're gonna come back to unpacking what that means. Which also, I think if we think about this and the place of the law, it may leave us with big questions. What is the purpose of the law? Why did God give the law to his people? All great questions, which we're not gonna cover tonight. Ian's gonna pick them up next week. So you have to come back. But I think it's important that we really understand what Paul understood, what the hearers would have understood when it comes to this idea of being cursed. That's not language that we just throw around these days, unless you Harry Potter fans or something. 
What does it mean to be cursed? And I think when, it, when we understand this and we, when we want to understand this and we want to unpack this, we have to realize that Paul here is using covenant language. Paul twice refers back to scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 22 and 27, and he, he quotes sections, we've just read them, sections from that book, the book of the law. And it's a covenantal book between God and his people. And covenants between God and his people have three main things at their hearts. Firstly, a desire of every covenant is for relationship. A second desire of every covenant is for peace. And a third desire for every covenant is for flourishing. So when God is is creating covenants with his people, he longs for that to cause or uh, to help flourishing with regards to relationship and peace and just general flourishing. And all covenants therefore also have attached to them appropriate rules involved, which hopefully allow for and move towards these outcomes. See, Deuteronomy is this book, it's a lot of don't do this and do this and watch this and cut your beard this way and plant your garden that way and don't eat this and don't eat that. A whole bunch of rules called the law. And yet at their hearts and in the hearts of God is right relationship and peace and flourishing for his people. We come to chapters 27 and 28 and we start to see that actually there are also some consequences and some promises related to disobedience and obedience with regards to the wall, the law, sorry. And here's the deal with covenants and curses and blessings. The curses are always the loss of the relationship, the peace and the flourishing which is the very things the covenant we're aiming for. And blessings are always an experience of or an increase of the relationship and the peace and the flourishing that the covenant is aiming for. So cursed here means this. It means no relationship. It means no peace. It means no flourishing. And Paul knows this is not what we're looking for, right? How many of us here tonight would say, yep, I'm pursuing the cursed life. It's just not gonna happen. We're not pursuing the, 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 the cursed life. And Paul knows that this is the cursed life. And that's why he's able to say in verse 11, no one is justified before God by the law. He's saying, man, if you're looking for the blessed life, this road of the law is not the road for you. All have fallen short is what the scriptures say. We can't get it right. No law keeping makes us right before God because no doing right and speaking right and getting it right or earning your way to God and trying to get into his good books is good enough. None of us can live up to that standard. All of us have fallen shorts and another way has to be provided which brings us to way number two or road number two but before I get there I remember grew up in an Afrikaans boarding school some of you would have heard the story but grew up in an Afrikaans boarding school and about five years after school well about two years after school became a Christ follower about three years later, we were having a leadership conference in the old venue that used to be where you guys are sitting. And through the doors came a friend of mine that was at boarding school with me. Now, let me tell you, when you go to boarding school together as guys, you know a few things about each other, right? All those weird 
kind of stand in a row showers and just, we knew a lot about each other, right? Going to boarding school. And this guy came into the context of the church. He saw me across the room, kind of, we saw each other across the room. He moved straight towards me. And as he moved straight towards me, he didn't say, hey, Ryan, so nice to see you. It's been a while. He, from a fair distance away, pointed towards me and he went, Ryan, what mag kerk? Ryan, what are you doing in the church? And remember, he knew a fair a bit about me, right? About BC me. And the reality is, I could have said to him in that moment, well, you know what happened? Actually, like at one point I just realized I got to work on things and I pulled up my socks a little bit and I pulled myself towards myself and I kind of sorted things out. And actually now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fair decent guy now. And so that, that's why I'm in the church now. But that's not true. That's not true. The, the truth of my story is, is not that I kind of got it together and therefore became somewhat acceptable to God and the church and therefore felt like I belonged. No, the truth of my story is that somewhere in my travels around the world on a train bound for nowhere, somewhere in America, in a place of absolute desperation, I reached out to God and I said these words, if you are real God like my parents say you are, kind of just hedging a little, if you're real, like my parents say you are, then I need to know you now. And God reached out to me in complete undeserved grace. I had done nothing but extend my dependence and desperation towards Him. And His grace flooded into my life and rescued me and saved me. And in that place of a few hours of experiencing the tangible presence of God, waves of love upon wave of love, hitting me again and again, crying my eyes out for hours to where every single person in the train tried to come and comfort me. I felt God say, this changes everything for your life. And I walked off of that train as a new person, a no longer dead person, but an alive person. Another way needed to be provided because I was helpless to pull myself towards myself and make myself more presentable to God. Another way has to be provided. Paul says road number two is the road of faith, which leads to this outcome of true blessing. True blessing. Listen to verse 11 and 14 again. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. He's saying that's the road, the righteous walk is the faith road. The righteous shall, shall live by faith. So that, verse 14, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us and the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In this sermon series, we've unpacked already what this by faith part means. A quick reminder, we all place our faith in something. The question is, what do we place our faith in? For those who say they have no belief, that takes a lot of faith to believe that Everything is as it is, just by random coincidence, but they're placing their faith in that belief system, in that worldview. And for us as Christ followers, to be a Christian is to place our faith 
and trust in God and what he has said and what he has done. That's what the by faith peace means, right? And the the beauty of what Paul points out here is that it's the way of faith and receiving by faith alone that leads to blessing. And specifically this blessing of Abraham and the receiving of the promised Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. This is what the people of God would have been waiting for for a very long time. And the prophets like Joel and others would have spoken about the Spirit coming upon your sons and your daughters and and to the nations. And we do well to unpack what what does this blessing of Abraham look like? You can go read in Genesis 12 through 15, multiple times God speaks to this man called Abraham. He is found as a moon, sun worshiping guy and God reaches out to him. And the blessing of Abraham, Abraham is the blessing of covenant, which we were speaking about just now, right? Covenant, God moving towards us in relationship. And God moves towards Abraham and he, he, he just chooses this guy and he starts a relationship with him. And then secondly, justification, right? Standing with God. We see that in Abraham's life. He has this peace with God. God comes to him and when you look at the hall of fame of all the kind of great uh, kind of leaders throughout the people of God, what we see is we see it's accredited to Abraham that by faith, by faith, by faith, He was a man who walked the road of faith and it was accredited to him as righteousness, the scriptures tell us, spiritual peace. And then we see all over Abraham's life, God just blesses him, provision and abundance. This is flourishing. Can you see it again? When you look at the blessings of Abraham, they're the blessings of covenant with God, right standing in relationship with God and spiritual peace and flourishing. And when we say we're looking for the blessed life, that's what it means. Relationship and spiritual peace and flourishing. Now for me personally, whenever I come to this reality of these two different dynamics at play. I have to be honest about my heart. I said it to you just now. I have to be honest about my heart. My humanness is inclined to believe that I need to put in effort to gain something and to put in effort to to kind of be rewarded. The natural kind of human setup of life is that if you work, you get a salary, right? A lot of you students, that lies before you. Work equals salary. No work equals no salary. Everybody wants to, did you know, uh, I don't know, I'm getting into this. Quick fun fact, 2022, number one uh, uh, desired kind of occupation for kids in Japan, astronaut. 2022, number one desired occupation for kids in America, social influencer. Guys, work equals reward, right? I don't know why I just jumped into that. But here, the point is, the point is my humanness is inclined to believe that I need to put in some effort. I need to do some things to please God and appease God because that's the way the rest of the world works is you put in the effort and you get out the reward. 
And actually this gospel we believe is an upside down gospel. And so I can find myself either living in condemnation or pride based on how well I'm doing with all these kind of relationship with God things. That's the natural tendency of my heart. And so I'm not sure about you, but I have a few clever tips and tricks to to help myself kick out of or click out of these unhelpful things. When I find myself unworshipping, when I find myself a little bit dry, I have a song that is a go-to for me and it wakes my soul up to singing. Awake my soul and see who stands before you. When I say those words, it's like I waken something up to go, worship soul, this is who stands before you. And when it comes to this dynamic of finding myself being effort inclined, I have a story of what happened to me when I was in high school. Some of you may have heard it, but I'm gonna tell you it again. And I hope to burn this imagery into your mind today because you too are inclined to think that you need to put effort into appease and please God. And it's not the gospel we believe. See, the truth is when we give ourselves to wanting to appease and please God, appease appease and please God in a kind of effort and earning kind of way. That speaks to a small view of God. I read an article this afternoon that said, do we believe that God is more pleased with loving us than we can ever be in being pleased and receiving his love? See, God, John 4, out of the fullness, His fullness, He overflows to us with grace upon grace. He is full and He is overflowing. So here's the story. I'm in grade eight in an Afrikaans boarding school, like I said to you, and I go to the first dance, Soki dance, any Afrikaans people in the room, right? Soki dance, great big fun, highlights of the term in our boarding school, in the boarding house, but it's the whole school, we're in the school hall. But where am I as a young grade eight boy? In the bathroom with my friends, like throwing wet toilet paper at the wall or something, right? Doing what grade eight boys do. And then Ati walks in. Now you gotta understand who Ati is. Ati was a dude. He was the captain of the A, under 18A rugby side. He played for Borland. He was a big eighth man and he was a, he was a machine. And Ati walks in and I happen to know Ati, even though I'm in grade eight and the matrix don't really talk to us. I know Ati because his sister's in our grade and we were friends in primary school and I've been to the house a bunch. And Ati says, hey Ryan, all in Afrikaans, I'm not gonna repeat it. Hey Ryan, why aren't you dancing? So I was like, ah, it's not for me. Why aren't you dancing? Nah, it's not for me. It looks weird. And then he says, do you know how to soki? I was like, nah, it's not for me. And then he says, game changing words. He says, I'll get you, I'll get Liesl to teach you. Now Liesl, (laughs) this is a stereotypical story. Captain of the rugby team, dating, Afrikaans version of prom queen, right? She's the most beautiful matricle in the whole school. And that was a game changer. So of course I'm like, that changes everything. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> and we go through to the hall and he introduces me to Liesl and Liesl says to me, okay, I'm gonna teach you to dance. And she gives me all these instructions and she starts, she's like, you put your hand in my hand over here and you put this hand on my hip over here, at which point my knees start to shake. But I've got the whole gallery of grade eight boys watching, right? And they're all watching and here I am. And she says, and then you do this step and then you do this step and then you do this step and now let's dance. And so we start. 
But after about three minutes of my head staring at my feet, trying to get this right, trying to get this wrong, she just stops. She's staring at the top of my head and I've stood on her toes about 15 times. And she says to me, Ryan, this is not dancing. She takes my arms and she shakes them out a little bit. She says, Ryan, what I want you to do, and these are words that a 13-year-old boy will never forget. So I want you to look into my eyes. I want you to hear the music. I want you to feel my body against your body. And let's dance. And so we did, right? And I was like the hero of the grade eights for like four days until Yanni hit pit and something happened and everybody forgot about me being the hero of grade eights. But why do I tell you that story? Because for me, there's nothing like that story to click me out of my inclination to be a works-orientated follower of Jesus. See, what I do is all too often, I find myself going, ooh, have a quiet time, make sure I read, Gotta pray as much as Jeff prays. Gotta do this, gotta do that. And I find myself in that moment going, oh no, I'm doing it again. I'm focusing on my feet and I'm still stepping on his. And he, I got my head down and guess what? I'm missing out on the glory of the dance. And I say, self, self you're doing it again. You're falling into the trap of trying to walk the way of the law. You're, trying to th- you're thinking that this is gonna appease or please or appease God in some kind of way that's gonna make him kind of more pleased with you and draw closer to you. No, you've already been invited onto the dance floor. Look into his eyes, hear the music of the glorious gospel. Feel his intimate nearness and participate in the dance. By faith right now, Ryan. Step out of your overly self-orientated assessment of how well you're doing and remember how well he has done on your behalf to even get you on the dance floor. That's the gospel we believe. And when I think of that imagery, and I hope I burnt it into your mind, Liesl, Atsi, look into my eyes, hear the music, feel my body. That's the invitation. That's the invitation to all of us. And the big flow of what Paul's trying to say here is, guys, guess what? You can't do anything to even get onto the dance floor with your works orientation that we all give ourselves to. So give up on the way of the law and works orientation and give yourself to walking in faith in the grace that you've received, Romans 5, the position you already have in grace. That's a beautiful thing. Recently at our life group was load shedding. Candles were out, conditions were perfect, right? And I led a a moment, a moment of us being able to, to pause and reflect. I said to everybody, guys, what I want us to do is just pause for five minutes, close your eyes, and I want you to do a visioning, envisioning, uh, visioneering, I don't know, whatever you call it. Imagine (laughs) God, the third person, well, the second person in the Trinity, Jesus is sitting on the coffee table right in front of you. Imagine he's sitting right there. We're gonna take five minutes. Five minutes in the dark is a long time, right? Five minutes, and all I want you to do is I want you to ponder what Jesus himself would say to you tonight. And a very interesting thing happened. After five minutes of just 
complete silence, all of us imagining, thinking, really grappling with thoughts. Numerous people in the group, we went around the circle and everybody shared. Numerous people in the group shared that this happened in their experience, similar experiences. They started with God saying, Jesus saying things like this. Hey, nice to see you, it's been a while. Wish we could do this more often. And there were these subtle little tones of almost like Jesus' disappointment with them. And numerous people said that was the first place their mind went with regards to what Jesus would say. And then they got to a place, a minute or two in, where they actually went, scrap that, I don't actually think that's what Jesus would say at all. And then they started saying, I actually felt just this love of God, that Jesus would sit there and say, I love you. Do you know how much I love you? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know that my love is perfect for you? And my love is not based on your performance. My love is perfect and it's overflowing towards you. See, what happened in that moment for many of us and many of the people in my life group are mature Christians. What happened for us is we, we started with a little bit of an earning effort works, how am I doing dynamic. And then we got to scrapping that and going, oh wait, Jesus doesn't operate in his relationship towards us based on how we're doing. He operates in his relationship towards us based on who he is. He is love. He is perfect and full love and he overflows towards us. Christ follower, can I ask you, how are you doing in participating in the dance? Our faith isn't about how we doing. Our faith is about how God is doing and how he has done. One more important point that Paul makes to drive this point home for us is this. Paul actually speaks here about how the Gentiles receive the Spirit. And then he says this, he says, what did they do to earn the Spirit? He's trying to reason continually with us about how we should approach this faith thing. And he says, what did the Gentiles do to receive the Spirit? Answer, nothing. Nothing, so why then should we now approach God in any other way other than in a receptive way to receive from God all that he would want to give us? It's all grace, it's all undeserved favor put on their lives, so why change that now? Paul's saying it doesn't make sense. And the encouragement to all of us is that we should, like Abraham, stay on the road of faith in all things, in all things. Think about this. I want you to imagine for a moment a 17-year-old girl. We're gonna have exhibit A and exhibit B. Imagine exhibit A, 17-year-old girl. She goes on a Christian youth camp. She encounters the gospel of Jesus for the first time. She's thrilled. Wow, this is beautiful news. She receives Christ. She says, I'm saved. She comes home. It's like so stoked. She tells her parents and her parents say like, oh, I want you to spend some time with some other Christians in the church. And they spend some time with her like, yay, you're saved now. Now what you gotta do is you gotta read your Bible. Most probably about half an hour a day. 
Yeah, that's, that's a good thing to do. And, and also pray. Maybe, maybe another 10, 15 minutes a day, you've got to pray to God. That, that's important to do. And, and be at church every Sunday. And like when you get legit, then you actually start giving money also. And you, you should like take your pocket money and give at least like 10% of that. that. That's what Christians do. And, and then what we want you to do is we want you to be very generous to poor people around you. And we want you to, to, to start like giving of your time and all of those kinds of things. How can you imagine that 17 year old girl who's just received the grace of Christ must feel, feel after all these expectations have been placed on her? How does she feel? She's no longer living in the joy of what's just happened. She's now living in a load of expectation, a weight upon her shoulders. Now contrast that with exhibit B. 17 year old girl goes on a camp. Beth, I should have just got you up here. You could have been exhibit B, okay? She goes on a camp, she receives Christ, she's delighted. She comes home and her parents chat things through with her. And they say, hey, so what's going on in your mind now? What, what do you feel like the next steps are? And she's like, well, I don't know where, like, how do I do this? Where, where, do, I, where do I get more understanding about what this is at? What I'm supposed to be doing? And they say, you know what? God's given us his word, it's beautiful. And all the treasures of what it means to follow him and be his people are hidden in there. You need to go find them. She starts to open her word like a treasure chest. And they say, hey, actually the cool thing about your spirituality is you're now in relationship with God. That means you get to talk to him. So whenever you want to, just feel free to engage with him, talk to him. People call it prayer. Some people are very diligent about it, but actually the important thing is you're communing with the living God. You've been welcomed into a conversation with the living God wherever you are. But stressed at school? Hey God, I'm feeling a bit stressed. It's that easy. And actually, as you're feeling all this joy, the natural things that a lot of us do is we get together and we worship him. And these songs that we sing on Sunday, they're just an excuse. They just give some kind of tangible framework to, to, to the worship that naturally flows from our hearts. And hey, God calls us into the strength of community. Why? Because we're leaky. And if you wanna make sure that you're not leaky, you should most probably get with those people pretty regularly because it'll keep topping you up, keep aligning your hearts and your mind on the things that are most important. Do you see the difference between exhibit A and exhibit B? This, this young girl, exhibit B, she's living in this kind of like, wow, this is all glorious, this is all mysterious, this is all beautiful. And I'm in relationship with God, I can't wait to walk down that road a little. Very different to exhibit A, who's kind of feeling the weight and the pressure of these things. Guys, this is the tendency, not just of the Judaizers here that Paul's speaking to in Galatians, this is the tendency of every person in this room and Paul's calling us out of it. And he says, this is the reason why he's able to do it. All of this has been made possible by the great exchange. Point three, the great exchange, Christ's atoning work for us. On the cross, what does Jesus get? He gets cursed. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
so that on the cross, what do we get? Verse 14, the blessings of Abraham and the promise of his spirit, which is covenant with the living God. Do you see the great exchange, the contrast between verse 13 and the verse 14 is he takes the, the curse upon himself by being accursed for us so that we may live in the blessing that he has provided for us. This is the great exchange. This is the only foundation of our faith, church. Tim Keller has been very helpful to me on understanding something of what Jesus may have gone through in this moment of becoming accursed for us. See, I think the tendency that many of us have is to believe that the primary agony that Christ experienced upon the cross was a physical one. And we can watch movies like The Passion of the Christ, which is beautiful and it, it's painful to watch and it really does show the physical agony of what Jesus experienced. But I think the possible danger there is that by almost in a sense, elevating and overly focusing on his physical pain, we can sometimes under-realize the primary pain that Jesus was feeling in that moment. And the primary pain that Jesus was feeling in that moment is that for the first time ever, the intimacy with his father was ripped apart. Ripped apart. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, forever in perfect unity until this moment. And Jesus turns to the Father where the Father has always been, I don't do anything that other than that which I've seen the Father doing. He's regularly engaging with God. He teaches to pray our Father. As he turns to the Father in this moment, the Father is not there. Can you imagine the anguish, the separation of that perfect unity and relationship? That's why Jesus on the cross, he calls out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time in all of scripture that Jesus refers to God as God and not his father. Because their father-son relationship has been decimated in that moment. He becomes cursed for us. No relationship, no peace, no flourishing. This is the great exchange. He gives up intimacy so that we may be welcomed into intimacy. The perfect one takes on the curse that we deserve so that we can receive the blessing which is his alone. This is the atoning work of Christ and it's the only basis for our salvation. This is why I believe we have to keep church preaching the gospel to ourselves. You gotta preach the gospel to yourself, otherwise you can find yourself becoming overly orientated with how well you're doing. Let me tell you, when I was younger, like most of you in the room, how well I was doing seemed to be the primary fixation of my immature mind. How well am I doing? How well did I do today? How well am I doing in the eyes of those people? How well am I doing in the eyes of those people? And because that was my fixation, orientation, I feel like there was a brokenness in my ability to relate to God. And Paul is saying, guys, that's the road of the law. It's not the road we should walk. It actually, it's a cursed road. The road of over fixation with how well you're doing is a cursed road. Here's the other road, the road of faith. And this road of faith is based on how well he's done. And every single day we get to pitch up to that reality. God, 
today, whether I have done well or I haven't. Man, I was never gonna live up, I never did. And you've brought me into this place, so right now as I find myself here mess, having messed up again, even though I'm a Christian, even though I'm a pastor, even though I've messed up again, God, and yet by faith I step onto the dance floor. And by faith, again, I take my position, which Romans 5 tells me is in grace. And I choose again to look you in the eyes and hear the glorious music of your gospel. And I choose again to feel that intimacy And I'm so grateful that you are not a small God, but you overflow towards me even in this moment of my brokenness and shortcoming. Because God delights more to love us than we can ever delight in his love for us. I want us to close tonight by watching a quick video clip. Tonight, as you can see, I'm trying to burn these truths into your mind in sticky ways. Let's watch this uh, Alistair I think it's Alistair Begg. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, like, cause I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the... That is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation 
depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God that just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you. In this sense, that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. Next time you find yourself in that place of going, man, I've fallen short again. I've missed it. I've not lived up to the standards that God would have for me as a Christ follower. I've compromised. You find yourself in that alone place and you find the voice of the accuser going, you don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to come to the Father. I love that one little line. The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's the truth. That's the truth of the gospel we believe is Christ has done it for us. Christ welcomes us into this great blessing of having a relationship with the Spirit. The Spirit causes us to be able to say, Abba, Father, we're gonna get there soon. In the text, the Spirit becomes a counselor and a comforter and a guide to us to walk in the way everlasting, which is the road of faith. It is not the road of the law. Can we pray together? God, we are so grateful tonight that we need not fear that our performance will cause us to not have relationship with you. God, thank you that you, Christ, just went so far above and beyond in becoming cursed for us so that the implications of the curse are fully dealt with upon the cross. God, we wanna find ourselves again in this place where we give ourselves more fully to the journey of faith. We wanna say thank you, God, for causing, uh, creating the way of faith for us to walk in. Thank you that you've created the possibility of us even being on the dance floor and you welcome us again every day into that intimate place of relationship with you because you've created a way. And Father, I pray that you would cause upon Christ followers in this room to come a fresh faith to understand that there is no more barrier between us and you. And God, you know, you, you are acutely aware of our shortcomings. We don't need to try and fool you. We don't need to try and live up in some kind of earning or appeasing way. God, we just need to draw near and allow your fullness to overflow into us in a way that causes us to live in a pleasing way to you. May we be that Christ follower who seeks the treasures of life in your word and longs to commune with you in prayer and conversation, draws near to you, is filled by your spirit regularly and then naturally lives out your character in our worlds. 
because your fullness has flowed into us. God, I pray for any people here today who've never crossed the line of faith, but you've somehow arrested their spirits tonight. God, won't you draw them in? I just wanna say to anyone in the room who's not crossed the line of faith before, if something in your heart is reaching out to God tonight, the only thing you need to do is like I did on that train all those years ago, just reach out to Him in your desperation. Say, God, I believe that You're real and I'm so in need of Your rescuing grace in my life. I don't live up, I can't measure up, but I'm so grateful for the work of Christ and I receive by faith tonight that work appropriated to my life. I say, come and live in me and come and fulfill Your purpose in me that may, my life may be lived for You. So all you gotta do is pray that prayer and welcome Him into your life. Just like the thief on the cross, reach out to Him. And Jesus says, today, you will be with my Father in heaven. Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your love. May this community be marked by faith. In Jesus' Name, Amen.